You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that would be shared. I didn't sign a consent form. I didn't read the terms of service. But you just said that and everyone like shuddered and couldn't figure out why. It got really cold in here all of a sudden. Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAPS Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and coming to us virtually from a land far, far away, it's Danielle Brostrom. And from across the hallway, or I guess down the hallway, uh, we are joined by the grand poobah of pedagogy. It's Andy Phillips. Why are you laughing? You say that. I I love that. Larry. To to be honest, I'm always worried that I'm going to mispronounce it. No, you were proud of yourself for a witty title, and then you laughed when, when referring to me with that title. Don't, that is a business so card title. Don't be so sensitive. Uh, before cutting into this week's meat of the show, we must start, as always, with a moment of zen. Develop success from failures. Discouragement and failure are two of the surest stepping stones to success. From Dale Carnegie. Which, you know, so I, I'm just going to stop because Andy's already or he's got like seven or eight uh, moments of Zen to drop in. <laughs> I have three or four this time, Larry. Okay, so I'm going to open up for the for your first one. If you want to drop one right now, go ahead. Well, I was going to drop them when they made sense in our conversation. But as the poobah of pedagogy, I will be happy to drop one in right now. This first one is from the great stylist Coco Chanel. She says, fashion changes, but style endures. Now I'm I'm kind of disappointed because I would have loved to see how you're going to fit that into the conversation. That is awesome. The reason I thought that was an appropriate, you know, I'm searching for change quotes and, you know, things that can, we can be inspired by from these quotes. So what I'm thinking with this one, and I think I bet Danielle can go off on a monologue about this, what, what inspired me here with teaching. Good teaching is the same no matter no matter where you are or what you're doing. Good teaching looks very similar with uh, advanced placement students as it does with um, with a low reading group, per se. The way that the, the tools that we use to do good instruction with, those things are changing all the time, all the time. But good teaching will be good teaching forever. It's just a matter of, you know, I think I think good teaching can become incredible or amazing teaching by using the current tools that we have in place or anything that anything that makes things more efficient, more engaging, meets learners where they are. But good teaching is good teaching. What do you think, Danielle? That's a good that was a good moment of Zen to start that with. That was a great moment of, of Zen. I was just gonna let you let you go. That was really good. The poobah was pontificating. <laughs> Maybe I should start start this off. If if, if Danielle's not going to uh, monologue, which I was actually expecting it to to happen as well, Andy. Um, you know what we're doing is we're kind of a part two, um, maybe a little more down in the weeds a little bit with the uh, flexibility in the face of change. We that was our podcast last week, and we had Danielle and uh, David and Steffi kind of going through some of the things that changed, and uh, it was it's great to have you, um, Andy, on to kind of discuss what you gleaned. Um, from your perspective, as far as kind of what we learned. So uh, before I came to TCAPS, I was an elementary 
teacher and then an elementary principal. And I've always been a, a big, um, I think I think that many of us, maybe most of us, have something that we hang our hat on as teachers and educators. And the, one of the things I hung my hat on was I was always a tech integration guy ever since, uh, you know, student teaching, even trying to find ways to get technology into hands of students and try to use technology to enhance their experience and increase student engagement. What I what I noticed is that if that wasn't the thing that um, others hung their hat on or people didn't identify themselves as a tech integrator, um, people tended to be a little more reluctant to put those tools into practice. And it's for a lot of obvious reasons. One, one obvious reason is that when you try to do this stuff, there's always going to be a glitch somewhere. And part of the skill associated with being a tech integration person or someone that hangs their head on tech integration as a resource, it's not only about knowing the tool, it's about knowing the problems behind it and how to figure out the way the workarounds. And for some people, that proposition is so scary, it, it stops them. Or it makes the it makes the road to getting a new tool or something um, a much slower process into a classroom. And I don't blame people for that either, because it it is it's scary. Like if even the role that I'm in now, I try to do tech integration stuff, uh, even with large groups. And sometimes it doesn't work and the sweat starts pouring. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are or how much you're confident with knowing that you can problem solve. When you experience some sort of glitch, it, I mean, I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. And I know lots of workarounds to it, you know, as well. And so um, then March 13th came. Then we had a minute to try to figure things out. And then the only way to deliver instruction or to get with your students, to see your students, the only way to do that was through integrating technology. And so whether you were reluctant or not, you were essentially forced to, 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 to try. And the cool thing that I saw, the thing that kind of filled my bucket as other things were emptying it from just, just all the changes that were happening and all the work that we were doing when we didn't really know what the target is, and in many ways we still don't, the thing that filled my bucket was to see people trying new things um, and, and jumping in. Knowing that you know what, sometimes there's going to be problems. Um, I heard, I heard, and saw many people tell little kids, "Mrs. So and So is just learning about this like you guys are." And so, if we have problems, we're going to try again tomorrow. Or, you know, if if we get kicked off from this thing, the, here's how we're going to going to solve this. Don't worry, it's all going to be okay. And then further, what was really neat is that um, those that that were kind of like me and associated themselves as as tech integrators or people that hung their hat on something like this they identified with it they had a, a chance to do some leadership things that maybe they maybe they didn't do before or maybe they did do but only a few people would come and listen to the cool things that they were talking about because they might have been you know a little more timid about implementing those things in their classroom well now the things that uh that these tech integration specialists or those that hang their hat on it, the thing that they were um, looked to now was for advice and everyone needed to hear it. And so, I don't know, I, I just thought that was, that's really cool. And I think that that's still happening. And that's, that's the thing that's really filling my bucket with this whole thing. I pulled up uh, on my screen just so I could reference that this, that when we had uh, during the summertime, late July, early August, we had our own teachers. We put a call out um, to see, Hey, anybody that's good at anything, that was that was useful during the shutdown. Would you present to colleagues? And we had so many teachers 
there there was probably only a couple people that said when I invited them to present, which was totally optional, incredible. They said, yeah, I just don't feel comfortable presenting, but I would be happy to. And then they would tell me all the things that they would do instead of maybe presenting to a group of peers. So the the people just stepped up. Um, attendance at those things was really, really good. And then when I pulled the document up now, I won't, I won't call the person out, but there's somebody on that document right now. So somebody probably told somebody else, hey, there's a really good screencast on uh, Loom as a video screencasting tool or what else do we have here? There's some stuff in here about Edpuzzle, Flipgrid. And did you know that, you know, Katie Polis and Susan Ross Kelly did a really good session on this and it's available for you to watch. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going on and on. But it, it's been really cool to see that our own talent has been able to um, to shine. And it's been also really cool to see those that may have been reluctant with uh, implementing some of these things, um, reaching out to those that are already pretty good at it for advice. And then the other cool thing that I think is going to happen because of COVID, it's kind of a one of the few happy consequences. I think that those that were maybe a little more reluctant are learning some cool things uh, that they'll do when they're back, when everything is back to normal again, and we're back face to face and hopefully no masks eventually and kids can work in groups. I still see these people doing flip grids and, um, you know, using Google forms for feedback because they learn how to do that now. So kids could turn work in. So I think that's going to be one of the real, um, real happy consequences. I've heard from teachers too, that have said, you know, during the get to know you stuff, which people were really afraid of in the beginning of the school year, because this is not as as personal as if we were all in the same room together and, and, you know, sharing laughs and stuff like that. But what, what some, some said that I work with, they said that people, kids were participating that may not have been so comfortable participating in like a get to know you bingo or uh, um, whatever else that we do as icebreakers to build community in our classrooms at the beginning of the year. And I think that they might use some of this stuff that we used in this virtual format with their students on the first day of school next year because they got everyone to participate. Confident kids, quiet kids. It was a little more safe because they were using technology to make thinking visible or, you know, to make participation just feel real comfortable. So I think those are some really great things that will come from this whole situation. And uh, we have to make sure that we, we give teachers lots and lots of time to collaborate and talk and learn from each other. Um, what's working and how it's working. And, uh, no, I just, I just think that that's a, a happy outcome of this whole thing. You know, Andy, I think the creativity that I saw from teachers was absolutely beautiful. It really takes me back to when I was in the classroom. I mean, as an elementary teacher, you know, this, you get, you get new assignments all the time and you end up in a different grade level that you haven't taught before or a new curriculum. That first year is overwhelming. You are, underwater you're just trying to keep above it and it's 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 good but it's not your best i think that second year in that same grade level or that second year in that same curriculum that's when you can rock it out because you've already got that curriculum underneath you you already kind of know what you're doing and i feel like we had that here with the covid shutdown like the covid the first shutdown was kind of like year one, you know, we didn't know what we we're doing. Everything was a little crazy. And then coming back in the fall, we feel more confident. We're, we're ready to go. We're ready to try new things. Like I, I watched a PE teacher doing gym with kindergarten. And when you think about that, you're like, Oh, 
that does not sound like fun, um, virtually. And it was amazing because Mr. Q was having the kids like run around the room that they were in and plant little seeds and then go back and check on them. And then, oh, you got to go back and water them now. And like, and the kids were like running around and they were so excited. It was perfect. You know, and I saw teachers say, go, go get your pet. Show me your pet. Let's talk about your pet. And then they had like a little like get to know you thing about the kid's pet and they just felt better about it. And teachers are reaching out like, how can I modify assignments for ADHD kids better? And what kind of technology can I use? And how do I get them to move more? And I just, I, I'm seeing so much creativity come out of teachers because of this. It's, it's kind of beautiful. Are you seeing Danielle um, as the tech, as a tech integration specialist, obviously more questions or I'm assuming more questions, but also more, more helpers. Um, more people that are, you know, I think we've commented in the past on how sometimes it seems like you're kind of an army of one um, out there. And uh, I, I'm wondering now that there are more people that are more comfortable using some of these tools that you're you're finding yourself being able to leverage more individuals as resources. For sure. For sure. I have people reach out to me and say, I met with so-and-so last night and this is what I told them is that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. Work on that. Um, I'm also having more, having discussions at a higher level with teachers. Like we are talking about pedagogy and what that looks like online. And instead of just how do I do this one little thing, it's the questions and the discussions are bigger, which is exactly what we want. I would, I would add too that, you know, as Danielle and Dave have been participating in some of this PD and um, this new way of looking at things, they're learning who those other point people might be so that, you know, while it might take Danielle or Dave a minute to get back to someone, um, they could point them to someone in their own school. Principals are learning that same thing too, which is really fantastic. And so there's different, you know, little pockets of um, experts and, and leaders that are emerging uh, in each school that are becoming go-to people, or maybe they always have been go-to people, but now, uh, like I said, when, when it was a, a have to thing versus a, it's a pretty cool thing to do. Those point people are really, they're really high leverage folks that are in our schools. Now that we have, kind of, we've, we've kind of reset the, the ed tech baseline to some of this. And I think maybe that's one of the things that you were thinking about Andy, when we were, when we initially talked about this earlier in the week, um, the level of confidence that our instructors and our teachers are going to have when new tools become available. Um, I'm curious how that's going to affect professional development as we as we start to introduce new tools and um, new opportunities to um, engage technology in their in their pedagogy. Do you see that as like potentially uh, a game changer, I guess? Yes, first of all, the first game changer is that you said reset the ed tech baseline. What a cool quote, Larry. Well, you know, every now and then I stumble into something. That is awesome. Well, the blind squirrel got the nut. Reset the ed tech baseline. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a complete game changer because um, as long as as long as a shutdown could happen. So one thing I do every day in this job uh, at central office that I think is um, beneficial to the district and beneficial here is I, I'd look through the press clippings, uh, you know, that what's going on across the state. And the big thing that I've been looking at, you know, throughout the summer was the return to school plans for districts as they were released. And now we're watching to see how schools are reacting to positive cases. 
and how schools are reacting is they're they're and and families seem to be aware and 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 know to adjust but positive cases that lead to you know um, pretty big quarantines with contact tracing the expectation is we're not just taking days off from school we're we're continuing to learn and teachers all have in the back of their head you know if something happens we got to be ready to adjust and go virtual and so all of a sudden um we need to keep ourselves in tune and develop a comfort level so that if we do this tomorrow or in two days, we're ready to roll, we're ready to adjust our instruction. So I'm gonna go back to something I said earlier, which is we just need to make sure that teachers have lots and lots of time with colleagues to collaborate because within our collaborative groups, we have people who have had lots of success with this and who have other ideas and can be those leaders and point people. But we also have to kind of practice what we preach as far as differentiating learning for students I think uh, I think teachers are much more likely to make great headway if they're able to research and implement tools that make the most sense for their group. And um, they kind of know each other both as teachers and practitioners and learners. And uh, I just think giving them time to share what's working and how they plan on if if we have to adjust, you know, what that looks like going going to a, a remote setting. But I'll also I'll also say again, that many of the same strategies that work really well and work really well for remote instruction also work really, really well in the classroom. And it would be something interesting to try with students, even if they're they're with you. Just kind of spice things up and shake things up, different ways to do small group work and different ways to get feedback and different ways to make learning visible for everybody that's safe. That's a big thing as a when, when you're leading groups for PD or whatever, it's just like students. There are certain teachers that, I mean, as a, as a principal uh, with teachers that worked with me, I, I knew that there were some whose opinions I really needed everyone to hear. But unless I was purposeful about it, I wasn't going to hear their opinion because they're, they're the, the quiet student or the quiet participant that's not going to want to want to share. But technology is a great equalizer there because it makes it very safe to put up on a on a flip grid or to put a padlet out there and uh, you could even make it anonymous, but everyone can participate in that way. I think that uh, getting back to the original point of the question, I think just giving teachers some really flexible time to determine how they're going to, what they're going to learn about together. And we, we talked as uh, in secondary language arts about the best learning will be if we get our teachers that are really great at some of these tools to use those tools on the rest of the department, like as if they were students, so that they can experience it from that that side of things, uh, and then learn about it to implement, whether we're in person or remote. Andy, I love that you're comparing what students need to what teachers need because it is so similar. It's you know they, they need time, they need choice and voice, they need connection with with their peers. Like it's it's the same way when you deal with adult learning. And Larry. I would say that might bring me to my next moment of Zen. Fire away. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. Now quiz Danielle. Danielle, who do you think the author of that one is with vulnerability? I'm hoping it's a Brene Brown. Sure is. That's my favorite. Not the first Brene Brown quote, I think, (laughs) from the the moment of Zen. I'm pretty confident. Probably not. But the, the the piece of this one that really flows along nicely with this latest part of the conversation is that everyone has to be vulnerable. Even the people that are super comfortable with this stuff, 
you still have you're still being very vulnerable when you're presenting it to colleagues and especially because many times and some of the people I you know I'm looking on on this sheet um, many times they're fairly new teachers presenting to colleagues who in their minds they hold on a pedestal because of the vast knowledge they have about the art of teaching and um, these are expert teachers so it takes a lot of guts to get in front of seasoned teachers that are really good teachers probably better teachers than you are because they have so many years of experience under their belt. It takes a lot of vulnerability uh, to get up there and, and show them cool things. Um, and then from the perspective of people that are trying to learn something new, it takes an incredible amount of vulnerability to be open to giving these things a shot with your classmates or with your students. And it takes a lot of vulnerability to be open to going to ask the teachers that presented, hey, I'm still not getting this. Could you please help me some more? Because sometimes it's not always easy to to ask for help when you need it. There's a difference between being an expert at a tool and an expert at a craft, but you can be an expert in both. And I think, um, you know, and I think that's the situation that we're finding with some of these newer teachers that are experts at tool at the tool. They've they've spent some time with it. They might not be experts at the craft. Both can learn from each other. I don't think it's an it's an either and. It's definitely a both. Um, but but being able to, as you said, you know, create a, vul- a safe space for them to share where they can feel vulnerable is, is kind of the key. And maybe that's, you know, the job of somebody in your position, Andy, or, or really uh, you, Danielle, is to create a sp- safe space so these um, professionals can then feel vulnerable and learn from each other, just like we try to do with our students, as you were saying earlier. Those are some of my favorite PDs, Larry. When I come in with the tool and I'm sharing how to use the tool in the classroom and then five teachers speak up about how they would use the tool and they're things that I hadn't even thought of. And it's like, yes, that's, yes, that's exactly right. So leaning on others to help you and share their knowledge is is the best part about this. Technology is a tool. It's not replacing education. It's just a tool to help promote and progress how we're educating students. And I think over the past six, seven months, it's really been very illustrative of, of that. It's shown, it's, it's really shown a light on the fact that this is not, you know, we've, we've done the virtual education now, you know, the big scary, oh, this is how we're going to be doing education forever. Okay, we've done it. And guess what? It's still teaching and learning. It, it just really hasn't, it hasn't changed what we do. It We still need teachers. It's just a tool. I think that maybe has, do, do you think that's helped um, strip away that fear. Yeah. And that- I think, I, I think with, uh, with, when distance learning came into play, it went from being a tool that could potentially make lessons more engaging or could make, um, you know, some parts of like getting feedback or grading, it might make that stuff easier. It so it went from something that could enhance to something that was, uh, vital because you couldn't you couldn't do some sort of remote learning without knowing how to host a hangout or um, get some stuff out to your students via like Google Classroom or collaborating via Google Docs. And then the enhancement then comes with incorporating some of those cool tools. But to get to get to that very base level of teaching and learning, you you, you really did have to. Um, and there was there was a learning curve there for a minute. But look how like, you know, like like we've said 
since the beginning of, of our conversation here. Look how far we've come in a matter of uh, just a few months from, you know, how do you how do you record a hangout or how do you uh, do this or do that? And people know not only how to how to host things, but they know workarounds. They know, um, you know, what happens when uh, certain things go right or wrong. I don't know. It's It's been it's just been really cool to see. The biggest leap somebody can make in using technology is recognizing that they're not going to break it. Press the buttons. That's really how you end up learning. And I think through this process, they've, I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where, you know, I'll try it. You never know. This might work. This might not work. You know, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't. People that are my age, we did break stuff. And there were many that were traumatized by it. Like I can, I can still feel the feeling in my stomach when I was working on something in college. It was now it's quite a long time ago where we had to save periodically. And if you didn't save periodically, you might lose your work. And then all of a sudden something dies or the power goes out or something happened. And I'm on page 10 of a research project and I didn't hit control S since page two. To me, that's breaking it, Larry. And I broke plenty of things and uh, my, my stomach hurts just talking about it. <laughs> so those things have changed some, but those you're right. The the I'm going to break it concept still is in the back of some of our heads. Yeah, but there's good there's good rationale behind it for some people that are in certain generations of uh of of teaching. I still get the emails sometimes with things that are broken or things that Google didn't update right in the middle of the day and um teachers were used to kicking kids out at the end of the meets and now all of a sudden you can't kick kids out cuz then they can't rejoin no big deal. So yeah, we still get a little freaked out when things don't work or when they break. And and I think that that fear should always be there because things will always get broken. I mean, they always, they always will. It's the, it's not the end of the world. I mean, there'll be a hurdle to overcome, but it's not a a million things could happen that could cause that, that break. Yes. Uh, And people, kids, even little kids have figured out tons of workarounds and tons of problem-solving strategies. Turn it off, start again, uh, shut it all the way down and start again. Uh, do you have the update? Did you clear your cookies? These are things that are becoming like the norm and the masses know about them versus perhaps having to call a tech guy to come and uh, and help you out or put a trouble ticket in. There are so many things that people know about. It's like when your cable goes bad or something. And then you have to listen to the message. Did you try to unplug your device? Yes, I did that. Did you hold the power button down for 10 seconds? Yes, I did that. They give you all these things that we know now because we've experienced so many of these issues by using things. Um, so the point is, I think I think that while we continue to experience difficulties, the workarounds for everybody have become like part of the norm. I agree with you. I think it's crazy how much the kids know. Um I was so excited to show my daughter the nightlight feature that you can turn on your computer so that way the um, blue light doesn't affect you with headaches and stuff. They have it on the Chromebooks too. I was so excited to show her. She's like, yeah, I've been using that for months. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, how did you find it? She's like, I don't know. I was clicking around one day during class. Okay. Can you share with me all the other cool things you learned about your Chromebook? Because I'd like to learn them too. That's just where they're at right now. The kids have these devices. They're on them. Um, and they're super reliable. We've given hotspots where it's necessary. So they're, they're connected. So how do we make that work now? Right now they brought the devices back, but they still know how to do all that. And something else, Larry, I don't know. 
I'm sure you know this, but that was really, really interesting as I've talked with teachers just about the positives and the struggles over the first two weeks when it was remote learning. One of the questions I asked, because it was a different answer in um, April, May, and June, is how many kids are coming to class? And it seemed like the connectivity issue wasn't that big of an issue. And the huge majority of kids were coming to class and participating. Now, whether that would happen, you know, three weeks, a month or two months in, I don't know. I, I don't know. But it was very promising to me to know that even though it was the first day of school, you know, this huge percentage of students were joining their virtual classrooms. That was a big win. I think a big win, not not for our district or our schools, but like we're showing the world that we can continue on and not stop. Even if we can't be in person, we have, we have, we, we've developed plans that are, that are helping, you know, helping kids continue to learn. A plan A gets a lot better when you have a plan B that you know works. One of the struggles though, from the summertime was that when we were trying to plan for what was coming up, whether you're, you know, uh, principal of a school or you're, you're teaching any, any content area or grade level, or you're someone like me who's trying to make plans, um, you know, that'll help the whole district. The, the plans became and, and become these huge, gigantic things that are just big balls of stress. And the big relief is when you can actually do it. And that's, I mean, I think that's what I've seen with teachers as well. We plan and we're worried that we don't have the tools necessary or we don't have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not ready to meet with my students yet. And then they meet with their students and realize that all of them or most of them are there and it's good to see them. And all the planning has helped because their lesson went as well as could be expected or even better. That's so that's the next phase, I think, Larry, is once you go through your plan A and plan B, it just feels so good to to do it versus continuing just to think and spin about it because that's the what cause that's that's one of the main things that causes so much stress. I'm gonna uh put someone on the spot, Jessica Unger, who I work with in language arts. She said a couple of times over the summertime, I just I just need something that I can start with. I'm I'm doing all this preparation and planning, but I just need something that I can, I can do and start with. So I'll feel better about making actual progress on something. So I think we all felt that same exact level of anxiety and stress, and it just feels better to, to get going and to start. I think you just, you know, my last question was going to be on mindfulness and empathy. And I think you just kind of answered it. So I don't even know if we need to go too much into that. But if there's anything else that you want to touch on as far as, you know, making sure that each child, each both, not just each child, but each educator as well is in the right frame of mind to uh, give and receive instruction. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the, a lot of that stuff just comes with making connections with kids and families. And then from our end, uh, making sure that there's connections with teachers. And I'm going to go back. It's like a broken record. But the, I think the biggest thing that we can do from from where, I, where I'm working and from where principals are working and uh, whatever is just to give teachers time to collaborate and, and work together, plan together, and learn together. I think one of my favorite things that um, TCAPs did to show empathy is offering so many choices for families. Kids can come back 
face-to-face. Kids can come back and do Up North Virtual Live with TCAP's teachers. Kids can come back and do Up North Virtual On Demand and learn on their own schedule. The, the accommodations for families who aren't comfortable to return to school right now for whatever reason, and for families who might be working a different schedule because of what's going on at home. Like I just, I love that we showed empathy for that and we're able to accommodate that in ways for families right now. And that has taken an incredible, incredible amount of vulnerability on our part too, because putting those things together in such a quick turnaround is we've been having to check and adjust by the moment really with, with those different things. Before you close, Larry, I've got I've got a third moment of Zen that might produce a very good ending for our uh, from for our time on the podcast here. Before you get into your final uh, end of pod plugs, love to hear it. This this moment of Zen is brought to us by Helen Keller. She says, "A bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn." <laughs> that was a mic drop, folks. <laughs> That was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, Tech Tool of the Week. Um, Tech Tool of the Week, um, the Google updates that are coming are super exciting, especially for those teachers who we do still have that are teaching from home um, or teaching kids live from the Up North Virtual Program. Um, The Google Meet updates that if you, important, again, we talked about this, if you kick a student out of a meeting, because the meeting is over, they cannot rejoin that meeting for 24 hours. Um, that's a change in practice. We just have to wait for the students to leave. But things like the built-in tile view, you no longer have to use this third-party extension that's going to break every three days and you have to uninstall and reinstall. Like, Just uninstall that extension forever. Google has it built in now and it tiles up to 49, which is pretty cool. Um, I also love the blur background feature. So people are less distracted by what's going on around you. That's available for staff. Um, Jamboard is also open for K-12. Nice blurred background there, Mr. Phillips. (laughs) Um, But Jamboard is super cool. It's an interactive whiteboard that all kids can join. And it's going to be built into Meet. That should be coming soon. So the whole entire group that you're meeting with will be able to draw, annotate, put up sticky notes. Great for that collaboration that you're going to do with students or with a, a team right during a meeting. Um, so that's an important update. Another update, uh, recordings are only going to stay for about 30 days and then you can't download or save them. So if you are recording a meeting, make sure you get it out to who it needs to go to before that 30 days is up. And then hand raising is coming this winter, which is pretty exciting for teachers. So a lot of good updates that we're really excited about within Google meet. Wow. Uh, speaking of, uh, updates, tutorials and updates, um, the technologist, he was mentioning the, the relationship with Brightspace, D2L, and Google. They're, they're, in that, they're in that getting to know you phase. You know, they're, they, they haven't necessarily built the relationship, but they're getting to know you. And actually, I think they might have gone on maybe their first date because he's got a nice little um, tutorial on uh, assignment leaks to Google Classroom. So you've got a resource in Google Classroom or you still want to maintain the power of document management, grab the link from Google Classroom for the assignment and have students self-report completion. He's got a nice little tutorial on there. So that relationship is is starting to form and I think that's going to be great and end up being a really powerful tool for teachers. Um, I wanted to plug Storytime, uh, live at the Opera House at Storytime. Uh, we had uh, 
uh, Tamara DePonio reading Giraffes Can't Dance this past week. And we're going to have the NMC uh, president, Northern, Northwestern Michigan College president, Nick Nisley, who I have not met yet, uh, next week. So Wednesday, 9 a.m., we'll have that. Uh, one final question uh, for any of our listeners. What did you learn last spring that you were bringing into your classroom this year? Um, we'd love to hear from you. Everybody's, uh, I think, you know, uh, going back to Andy's spreadsheet, there was so much information that you received from teachers on things that they had learned or things that they wanted to share with their colleagues. And that sharing back and forth between our educators is just so important. I mean, that's the what we can do. So anything that you learned last year, uh, feel free to share with us on Twitter at Brostrom DA, at TCAPS Loop, at Fish and Sparty. AP, you got it. <laughs> All right. All right. Speaking of which, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPS Loop. At Brostrom DA. At Fishing Sparty AP. All right. Subscribe to the no podcast. G. It's just fishing. No G. It's not fishing. Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> not even an I in there. Um, uh, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your, your candy. Like the podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. It really helps get the pod uh, to show up on the aggregators. And we love hearing from you as well. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I don't know how long you're shooting for here. Half hour? Longer when Noller's on. (laughs) Yeah.